Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 76, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today I'm joined by Bo Martonic of East Meets West, and we're talking mountain bucks, Alaska trips, and elk hunts. So stay tuned. All right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you all are doing well out there. It's, uh, the season is getting close, man. The, the nights are getting just a little cooler. We've actually had a little bit of cool weather roll through here in PA. Um, I think the high this past weekend, or the, at least when I was home on Sunday, was like 79 degrees, and the evenings were getting uh, dipping into those low 60s. Uh, so definitely getting the itch to uh, get back into a, a tree stand. It won't be long until all those things kind of come together. Um, I hope everyone's caught up on their deer work, man. I know I got a few things to do. Fortunately, I did get my plots put in uh, here. I think it was two two weeks ago, maybe. I got the plots put in. I, I'm, I should be ready to rock and roll on the uh, on the new property for this year. All my deer work is done for the most part. I'll probably do one last camera pull at the very beginning of September. Uh, September words are hard today. Uh, at the very beginning of September, just to kind of check in and see what has kind of shown up that usually on this property, at least it seems, shows up in that uh, mid-August, late August to the beginning of September time frame. So I'll do one last card pull there and then we'll probably just let it set until uh, until October rolls around and we'll be ready to rock and roll. And uh, I do have a little bit of scouting to kind of wrap up. I got a late, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, whenever we had... You know, in the uh, DIY report miniseries with Dan, the first, the the farm country, hunting the hunting wind in the farm country, I was talking a little bit about swamps on the upfront where I got a new piece of property that I'll be scouting this weekend, probably on Sunday, to make my first sachet through that uh, since I got uh, access to it just last week. And the reason I didn't scout it this past weekend is because I was in Ohio uh, making my second scouting trip of the year there to kind of get ready for that. Uh, saw some stuff that I needed to see in one area, checked out a couple new spots. Um, there's one more place that, you know, I kind of looked at on, on the Onyx maps and kind of figured out that maybe I should be taking a look at this place. And upon further investigation, it seems like it could be a really good spot. It's water access. Um, you know, we'll talk about that. John and I'll probably do a catch up here at some point and I'll talk a little bit more in detail about the, uh, about the trip overall out to Ohio and, and what my hopes, dreams, and aspirations are for that for this year. But uh, today we got a really cool show. I got my buddy Bo Martonic on. Uh, if those of you that don't know Bo, he's got a 
an East Meets West hunt podcast, and it's kind of focused on adventure hunting. Uh, Bo's a, a dude from Pennsylvania. Uh, he and I met or just kind of ran into each other online. And then, of course, we ran into each other physically for just a brief second at ATA. And uh, and then we kind of reconnected at uh, the Total Archery Challenge this year. And, and Bo's just a really cool dude, man. He, he hunts the way I think a lot of us like to hunt. He You know, he's, he's a grinder. He hunts a lot of big woods. Uh, and hit in his from his you know from around his hometown um you know he's he's a native pits uh, i shouldn't say pittsburgh but a northern pa guy um and then he of course is all about adventure hunting man and a lot of what he's hunting is you know is public land whether it's whitetails or whether he's uh, whether he's hunting elk so it, he's he's a guy cut from a similar cloth to uh to all of us who just you know enjoys the hunt enjoys adventure and enjoys using public lands to do so doing it on a diy budget so it's a really cool conversation with him we, we touch a lot of different topics everything from you know mountain bucks you know that he's going after in pa to elk hunts and he went on a really cool trip to alaska um this past i guess it was late spring early summer maybe uh that i definitely want to uh, hear more about so we'll talk all about those things but before we jump on the phone with Bo, let's take a quick second to talk about our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. First and foremost, we are brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And now, right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all consumer voices who've been excited about what Exodus trail cameras have to offer, but just can't fit a $200 camera in their budget, and that's okay. A budget-friendly camera backed by the industry's leading warranty is now here. The Trek is $145, has the same proprietary shell design as the Lift Series camera, save five-year warranty, 0.7-second trigger speed, photo, video, time-lapse, and hybrid modes, all with a single-line backlit LED display. And you can get about 20,000 images on one set of lithium batteries, and I am putting that to the test this year by letting that bad boy soak. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras, check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you like what you see, use the promo code TRUTH and save yourself 20 bucks at checkout. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. Everything is bigger in Texas, no matter if you live in the south, midwest, or northeast. Northeast, Tecamani has your food plot seed needs covered. Visit techamani.com and check out their product selector tool to help pick the right seed for your food plot. Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20%. And we're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. One last kind of one or two things to note. There will be uh, an episode coming up in the very near future with my um, good friend Chad from Exodus. Um, we'll have probably an announcement in, in the uh, in the not so distant future that I'm looking forward to uh, sharing with everybody. And then also on the on the topic of coolers, uh, really bad transition there. But a, a buddy of mine actually was at a uh, at an outdoor event. And just so happened to have a competitor, very um, expensive cooler, and a glacier cooler um, side by side. They filled them both with ice and drinks for the for the day. And wouldn't you know it, the more budget-friendly glacier cooler actually held ice much longer than the super expensive brand name 
cooler that you all probably know the name of, but we won't mention. So just a little food for thought if you're thinking about a cooler. You might want to think about a glacier. And with that, let's go ahead and get Bo on the line. All right, folks, welcome back. You are listening to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I am joined by my good buddy, the man, the myth, the legend, the muscle behind the mustache, Bo Martonic. What's going on, brother? Hey, man, what's going on, Clint? Good, man. We finally got all the technical issues out of the way. You'd figure two guys that run a podcast could figure out how to manage to record one together, right? Yeah, I feel like I, I come across these issues just about every time, and it's always something <laughs> different, you know? <laughs> exactly, man. It's like I still run into them all the time. Like the newest one was like I got a new computer, and so every time I, every time I connect, it it seems to want to use a different microphone and I have to kind of retrace where all like the, where, where the settings are set and like figure out which microphone it's picking up. It becomes like a disaster to where now I have to set up like a solid 15 minutes early before we start, uh, before I start recording to make sure like nothing, nothing ridiculous happens. But yeah, <laughs> we are here nonetheless, man. So what's going on out in the Berg, man? I know I'm, I'm catching you on the, uh, on the road. Where are you at? I'm actually down in Southern Virginia this week. I'm down here working, there's a, a manufacturing plant that I have to visit once a month to come down here. So I'm sitting in beautiful residence in, in uh, Waynesboro, Virginia right now, just uh, just enjoying the, the weather down here. And when I say that, I mean, I drove through a ton of rain, wind, <laughs> hail, just about everything else on the way down. <laughs> I, hear I hear you. The last time, well, not the last time, my wife and I took a vacation. I think it was last year. So anytime my wife and I, so let me frame it this way. If I ever ask you to go somewhere with me on vacation for a trip, just say no, because you're going to have the worst weather you can possibly imagine. So two years ago, my wife and I were headed to the Carolinas to visit my dad, and the, like the weather got terrible right around D.C., and the wind's blowing, and like people were pulling off the road, and I'm like, well, this is great. like Everyone's off the road, so I can just keep going. And we got to our hotel room wherever we stopped some at some point. It was you know somewhere in Virginia. I think we ended up staying overnight before we drove the rest of the way to my dad's looked on the news and there was a tornado that basically traveled the path that I was driving. Cause like the wind was like ridiculous. There was a bunch of hail. My wife kept saying, maybe you should pull over. I'm like, no, we're making great time because there's no traffic. <laughs> and it, just, it just so happened. Like everyone else pulled off the road because they all knew that there was a tornado that was rolling through that, uh, 90 I 95 corridor. And, uh, I just kept the, I just kept the hammer down and kept, kept rolling. Hey, yeah. that's the way to go. Just, you know, just keep it at your back and you should be good. That's right, man. That's how we do it in Pennsylvania, dude. You just drop the hammer and let it ride. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It gives you a little bit, a <laughs> little bit of push to get down the highway quicker. <laughs> that's right. Well, cool, man. So, so I, I know you and I, we talk every, every so often and, and, you know, you and I originally started just chatting over social media and then we ran into each other at ATA. You know, I know, mm-hmm. you know, and then we got together out at the, um, out at the total archery challenge and, and, and had a chat and, and hung out a little bit. And I held the fort down at your booth while you went, while you went and shot after it. So I could, uh, basically count my three arrows I had left after the, after the day of shooting. Cause all I brought home was three. Um, so I <laughs> sat at your booth with, with those three arrows. Uh, and, and I know a little bit about you, of course, I know you're into mountain bucks, you're into adventure hunts. Um, you will talk a little bit about your podcast cause you have a podcast that kind of talks talks about that. I know you went on a really rad trip this year and I want to get to all of that. But before mm-hmm. we start, just so everyone at home knows you as well as I do, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of information about where you're from, your background, what you do for a living and what the hell's going on with that mustache. Uh, all right, Clint. Well, before we get into that, a little bit about me, 
let's let's talk about the, the first time you know I, I i guess i wouldn't really count ata meeting you i just kind of you know shook your hand there right. but yeah total archery challenge we met up and we're like hey you know i want to podcast with you and everything for for my platform and then i was like hey do you mind just watching my booth for a second while i go shoot my buddy's gonna come take over you'll be fine well little did i know the sick of course takes eh, a little while to shoot <laughs> a and couple hours my, yeah, a couple hours, <laughs> and my buddy was caught on his course longer than expected. So I had you stuck sitting in my booth with you know people coming up asking questions about a business you didn't know anything about. <laughs> I was repping and, it though, dude. I was repping it hard. I had it all under control. It was all good. Is that why I lost business? That's that exactly or? why you lost business. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, and yeah, thank you for that. But anyways, yeah, so. Clint, a little bit about myself. I'm from Northern Pennsylvania. I'm from Elk County, Pennsylvania, the heart of the Allegheny National Forest, um, the only national forest in Pennsylvania where um, most people have no idea where that's at besides the fact that that's where the elk are. Right. So I, I grew up in that region. It's it's a, a t it's in the Appalachian region. So typically, you know, mountainous uh, forested region, not too much there. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up, obviously, my whole life hunting and fishing from that standpoint. I mean, growing up in the middle of that just that beautiful place, it, that was what we did. And and I grew up actually, you know, getting into bow hunting really early. And it's been something that I just kind of fallen in love with. Started shooting a little bit of like uh, target archery when I was really young, like in some of the kids divisions there with my uncle and uh and really just got into the sport of archery hard. And and my like I said, my family is just really big into hunting and die hard into hunting what what we consider mountain bucks. And at the time I just thought it was deer hunting. Didn't know anything else about hunting, you know, agriculture or farm country deer besides what I saw on TV. Right. So just to kind of give you that, that picture, um, where I hunt is is heavily forested terrain and so I grew up there hunting, like I said, and, and really been into it ever since. And when I went off to college, started hunting some different places, getting into it. And here I am now, 26 years old, and I've really gotten into hunting as many different places as possible. And when I say that, it may sound like, oh, I mean, uh, this guy's got, you know, money and everything else that he can go hunting. And that's not the case. I, uh, I just travel around hunt uh for the majority of it public land over the county over the counter tags um and anywhere from pennsylvania ohio colorado and anywhere in between that i can you know find the time and uh the place to hunt yeah man i hear that dude preach it that's uh i mean that was one of the things that you know when we first kind of ran into each other online you know the first thing was that we were both from pennsylvania you know, so that we had, we had that kind of in common. And then I had just kind of had that hunt in Ohio, which was, you know, more kind of that mountain type of mountain type of terrain. And, and I had a Steve Flores on too, from West Virginia, who's, you know, he's big time, you know, mountain, mountain buck hunter as well. And, uh, and that was kind of what I think kind of started our kind of online friendship was, was just the idea that like both interested in trying to find some tough terrain to hunt, you know, appreciate the challenge. Um, same, you know, we're very similar in the sense that, you know, another was, 
have a pile of money, but we, we try to figure out ways to, um, get out and have the experiences that we want to, that we want to have and do over the counter hunts and hunt public land and, and, and do all those things to be able to kind of have the experiences we want to, we want to have. I think it's interesting, man, that, you know, a lot of people probably don't realize or don't know that Pennsylvania has elk. I'm going to imagine like, what's your take on that? Do you like, when I talk to people, like it really never comes up, but I mean, Pennsylvania doesn't have a ton of elk and it's, I mean, it's near impossible to draw a tag. Um, but they've got some hammer elk, like some giants. Oh yeah. That's, um, and, and you're right. Not a lot of people, uh, know about it or if they, if they do, they think it's, you know, this extremely small herd, which I guess in the grand scheme of things, if you compare it to somewhere like Colorado, it's a very small herd, but it's very healthy in the growing herd in the North central region of Pennsylvania. And to be honest, there are some of the bigger, the biggest bulls in the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, The elk there are ridiculous and you can, you can see them. I mean, there's a lot of people that take like the tourist route and go up to Benazette is kind of the heart of elk country there. And, you can see them. They're all over in the camp yards. There's big bulls bugling right up next to your car window. You know, it almost seems like a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's a lot of areas that aren't right around that uh, initial um, tourist area that elk live freely. They roam like they do anywhere else. And uh, it's pretty cool to, to be able to see. But they are kind of, you know, in a in a relatively small area, I guess, because where I where I actually grew up is about 20 minutes from where the elk herd is, but there's no elk there. You know, there's not even a stray that goes there. So we didn't have them in our yard or anything along those lines, but 20 minute drive and or even less than that. And you're in the middle of it. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. I don't know what makes them just draw the line there, but they, uh, they kind of have their range and they stick there. Yeah. I'm sure it has something to do with, you know, whatever habitat is there and, and so on and so forth. You know, I mean, they probably have like where they like the winter and where they like the summer and, you know, they're, you know, creatures of habit. They'll do what they, what they like to do until someone, someone or something changes, changes yep. that, you know, um, you know, it's, do you ever get out and uh, do any, do any shed hunting there in the off season? Did you ever do that? Yeah. Yeah. We do uh, every year. I, I'd really, but the funny thing is it took me a while to really get into it. Not until about four or five years ago did I start getting into it for elk sheds. And I still have not found one myself yet. Mm-hmm. And it's my, my family's done really well with it. My dad found a couple sheds off a bull this pasture that would go over 400 inches. I mean, just big, big bulls. Nice but it's literally light. I think it's almost worse than the first day of rifle season in Pennsylvania. So if anyone knows what that's <laughs> like, wow. then it's crazy. I mean, there's so many people and they're just, they're everywhere. When you, when you pull up to any spot, I mean, there's people at night, you know, looking with, they have night vision, spotlights, shadowing the herds. I mean, they get, they get into it. These are, these antlers are prized possessions. So it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting, um, almost game if you want to say, but it's, uh, it's super cool to see, see the sheds. I, I just, I just say that I've had the worst luck out there with finding them so, I, I can't find one if i like dependent on it <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> sounds like you and i should shed hunt together is what it sounds like because i cannot find a shed to save my life either i'll be completely honest with you i've yet to ever find a single shed antler oh really the shed antler that i have laying on my bar right now an elk shed was i almost tripped over it when i was in montana last year and my buddy saw it my buddy who lives there and picked it up and he was like here why don't you take this home 
<laughs> so yeah. that was <laughs> that was how I got my 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 one lone shed antler. But um, so I, I I put I just real quick I put I put on like between elk sheds and whitetail shed last year I logged over 140 miles of hiking Jeez. and I found like 10 deer sheds which isn't that great for the amount of you know terrain you're covering. And a lot of other people, but anyone that goes with me, they can find sheds. It's just, I, I literally think I can't see them or I just, I, I don't know what it is, but yeah. so yeah, you and I are on the same page. Yeah. That's why I go to lab. I was like, I need someone to teach him how to shed hunt that way I can take him out. Cause my problem is I gawk around, right? So I'm looking at all like the rubs and if, see if there's any scrapes from the previous year. And it's like, it's constantly a scouting mission for me. So, you know, I'm, my attention is usually diverted and I'm not the most attentive to the, to the sheds. Uh, my mind starts to, to, to wander, I guess you could say, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, I want to shift gears here real quick, man. Cause you had a, a trip this past spring. I want to say it was either spring or early summer, whichever we want to classify it as. And it made me extremely, extremely jealous. So you went to Alaska, right? So what, I guess just explain to everybody like what that trip was, like what it was for, you know, and then we'll get into kind of the details of it. But I just want to get a sense of like how that trip kind of came about. Yeah. So um, it was actually the, the first day of summer, June 21st is when I was up there. Um, but I got this opportunity about a month and a half before that. So I, I do some work for a company called Heather's Choice, who makes uh, de- healthy dehydrated meals for mm-hmm. backcountry hunting or backpacking or anything along those lines. And Heather, who's the, the owner of the company, had reached out and said, hey, we're looking to do a company retreat and get everybody together up in Alaska, do a camping trip, a floating trip down the river, camp out of this glacier, all this amazing thing. Would you be in? She asked my brother and I. And... At first, I'm like, I don't know if I can make that work, you know, from a financial standpoint, from a, you know, logistics standpoint, vacation from work, everything else. And I call, I called my brother up and was telling him about it and kind of being almost negative about the, you know, the potential for it, thinking I wasn't going to be able to go. And he's like, why can't you go? And I was like, well, uh," and he's like, just stop. You you can go make it work, figure (laughs) it out. And I was like, all right, well, and, and he was, and he's actually going to Alaska in a couple of weeks again for his honeymoon. So he really had to pull some strings to make it happen. Oh yeah. But, uh, so anyways, him and I, uh, booked our plane tickets literally that day and went up to Alaska and just camped the whole time. We didn't stay in a hotel or anything like that. Just flew into Anchorage, uh, went down to Heather's house and had, and just, started the trip off there basically. Nice. So, so she lives in, she lives in Alaska. I, I take it in her, her home. Is yeah. Home. Yeah. Yep. What, so where did you, so you flew into Anchorage that she, does she is, I mean, is the company based out of Anchorage or do you got, did you guys pontoon plane somewhere else to kind of start the trip or how did that kind of start? Oh uh, no, her company is based out of Anchorage, but uh, she lives about 30 minutes South. Okay. Um, right along the, the Alaska Seward. Mm-hmm. It's like the highway that runs down along there, like one of the only two highways in Alaska yep. and, uh, yeah. runs along the coast. And it was, so we flew into there and just did a quick hike, uh, actually just outside of Anchorage. And we were walking down this trail and a, a lady, you know, kind of came up to us and was like, Hey, are you, are you guys hunters? I'm like, well, apparently we come off that way pretty right. <laughs> easily. Right. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, why? And she's like, well, there's a, 
there's a grizzly bear chasing around a cow moose down the valley. And, and she's like, well, would you be able to shoot him? And I was like, well, I don't have a gun. And, and I, again, I don't know how, I guess the, maybe it was, the, as you alluded to earlier, the mustache and just kind of my, <laughs> my, well, maybe that's what the mustache was, that I was a hunter. The mustache was oozing masculinity. <laughs> she was like, this guy has to be a hunter. <laughs> but anyways, we walked down the trail and I, my brother looked up on the hill. He goes, look at that. He goes, is that a moose or what is it? And of course we didn't bring our binoculars and looking up and he goes, that looks like a brown bear. And he's like, I, I'm not saying it is until we can confirm it, you know, whatever. So we kept walking down the trail and another lady comes up came up to us and said, Hey, be careful. There was, you know, uh, a brown bear chasing around a, a calf moose down through this valley. So whether we actually saw it or not, I don't know. I, when we came back, the brown spot was not there. So I'd like to say that it was. So that was a pretty uh, eye-open experience saying, all right, we're not in Pennsylvania anymore. Yeah, man, you definitely aren't in Kansas. That's for sure, man. Whenever you, <laughs> when the brown, bear, brown bears are running around. When you have someone walking down the trail that you're getting ready to walk into saying, hey, be careful up there. There's a brown bear up there. It's like mm-hmm. that's, that's a, little un, a little unnerving. You know what I mean? That's, that's one thing about hunting out west that always makes me a little on nerve. It's like, I'll be like, – I'm not too proud to like admit it. It's like – getting into bear country makes me nervous you know what i mean it like, it's just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i know right it's like if you're not a little you don't have a pulse you know what i mean like yeah um it's just yeah i don't know it's like I, i'm intrigued by them you know it's like just like they're how big they are and how powerful they are and like they're apex predators like they're just super cool and it's like i, I like the idea of being in the area or in the same kind of, you know, habitat or in the same kind of space with one. And when I say space, like within a reasonable distance, right. It's like, I'm not talking like cuddling, cuddling with it. Um, but there's still this like apprehension of like, man, I don't know. Cause I always have this dream, I guess if I could say I had like one bucket list hunt, it's like, I would love to hunt brown bear with a bow. Like that's the one thing I would love to do. But there's yeah. also this part of me that's like, man, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, man, you got to get really close. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you got to like 30 yards tops, you know what I mean? Like you don't want to be any further away than that. And if, and if that bear just has the right attitude, it's like, man, you could be in a world of hurt. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. And that's, you know, that's the same thing with me. I was like, I, I would love to hunt brown bear and, and I've never hunted in a place that had them. And, and it, at first it used to kind of bother me thinking about it, but now, yeah, I don't know. I just, I like it. You just, need to be more aware i guess mm-hmm. in the area the thought of it just kind of makes me excited like when i was walking around the woods of alaska like just to just kind of jump back to that story real quick we went down to heather's house we just set up a tent in the yard for the first night and everything and we stayed there a couple nights the the last night that i was there just to stay on the topic of the the grizzly bears uh it was it was daylight 24 7 there because it was summer solstice Mm -hmm. so it never got dark which is one of the weirdest things i've ever experienced and about four o'clock in the morning i heard her dog barking and i was like i wonder if that's a bear and i was like you know what i'm too tired i haven't got much sleep at all i'm just gonna lay here and what am i gonna do about it if it is (laughs) so so i just laid there in my teepee and i was in a like a a floorless shelter and about 15 minutes later, I had to go up and I had to get up and, and go out and use the restroom. So I started walking out towards the wood line. 
did that, came back, started getting in my tent, and a little bit later, uh, Heather's dad, who's the neighbor, came over and was like, hey, you guys had a, a visitor a little while ago. And I was like, yeah. He goes, do you hear the dogs barking? Said, yeah, I did, and wasn't really sure what it was. He said, yeah, there's a big grizzly in the yard near your guys' tent. And I'm like, oh, my. And I just lost. I'm like, geez. And then I went out into the woods, you know, right. right after that where, you know, he was probably sitting there watching me thinking, ah, I could take him if I wanted to, but I'll let him live another day. Oh, man. Yeah, see, it's but, that, dude, because they're so stealthy, too. It's like you can't imagine, like, something that big being able to move around, like, that quietly. No. And they had uh, one of the other neighbors was attacked by one the year prior uh, an older lady that would go out trail running, been doing it for 30 years behind her house. She got mauled by the same grizzly three times Jeez. in one day. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty unfortunate. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. She, she lived, but man, she that's, is. uh, that's when you know, like I said, you're not in Pennsylvania anymore, but yeah. So yeah. wild, wild Alaska, let's put it that way. Yeah, for sure, man. So, I mean, was this, was this your first trip to Alaska or have you ever been there before? No, I've never been there. I have just kind of lived through experiences of listening. My grandfather used to be a smoke jumper oh, in nice. Alaska. Cool. So he would always tell stories and say how you know awesome it was. I mean, he was back there in the, the 60s. So it was you know even more wild then. But I so I just wanted to go so bad, and I need to go back. Yeah, that's it's one of those places that I, I went – 2002 i think 2002 2003 something like that i went on a bear hunt um and black-tailed deer on um ketchikan or prince of wales island we flew into ketchikan and hunted on on prince of wales and it's one of those places it's there's i've been only maybe a handful of places in my life where it's like the moment that i left i couldn't i I needed to somehow figure out a way to get back and alaska is one of those places where it's like just the the flights alone are expensive and stuff like that. So it's not like, you know, going to Colorado or Montana to hunt or whatever, where it's like you can make the drive and you have to take off some time from work, but it's not terribly cost prohibitive if you, if you want to, if you want to do it on the cheap, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can get it done. Alaska, I'm not saying you can't hunt on a relatively cheap, you know, like, you know, you don't have to go with like the, you know, the, the brown bear hunt that's going to cost you $35,000 or whatever. But, you know, the thing with Alaska is that, if you're a non-resident, you have to have – it has to be guided. Like you have to be with somebody. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm pretty sure it's that way in every part of Alaska if I'm not mistaken. Well, not not for all species actually. No, it's not? Um, no, you can hunt black bear and I'm not sure if it's every part of Alaska but most parts you can hunt black bear, huh. um, caribou, and moose depending on the zones without a guide. See, that's the ticket right there. So black bear is the, the ticket to, to get like the barrier of entry if you just want to experience Alaska. Yeah. In the area that we were in outside of Anchorage there in the Chugach um, State Forest, they the residents were getting like I think it was four or five bear tags and the season never closes. Oh, wow. So it opens July 1st, closes June 30th. So it's just it's literally a continuous season, almost like coyotes are, you know, around here. Right. But uh so that's a and so that's a you know a reasonable barrier to entry, but I mean if you're not experienced with it, it may be smart to have someone there with you that that knows because like we were just talking with the bear stories and everything else in the weather too. Yeah. Um, Alaska is as wild as it gets. Yeah, yeah. We went. It was a black bear hunt that we went that we went on that whatever that year that was two thousand three, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like the weather was just nasty, um, unpredictable at best. And, you know, we were hunting. So what we were hunting was what you would call semi, semi-guided semi or whatever, um, where basically the guy had a place, place that we were staying. Um, mm-hmm. And he basically just gave us vehicles and was like, you know, if you want me to go with you, I'll go with you. If, if not, no big deal. You know, technically, I think the way it was because we were staying there, there was some like weird stipulation that he had to guide us if we were staying at his facility or something like that. It was something odd, but he was like, if you guys don't want me to go, I won't, you know, I don't need to tag along. I'll just kind of point to a map and you guys can go do whatever you want to do. And mm-hmm. I was with my dad and my uncle and that's what they wanted to do. They just kind of wanted to go, which is kind of, you know, they grew up, you know, grew up in the woods and are good woodsmen and stuff like that. And I was like maybe 21, 22, something like that, you know, and just wandering, bumbling around the wilderness of Alaska. <laughs> Which is, Isn't it? It's, that's crazy though. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't know that you had, you'd went there before. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, and if the funny thing was, it was like, so I had been living in Orlando for a little while. I actually hadn't hunted in a couple of years because I'd moved away and I was doing the music stuff or whatever. And my dad was like, Hey, let's go to Alaska. And I was like, cool, let's do it. And, um, we went and, and we would split up and like, you know, I don't know that I even had like a compass or a GPS or anything. I just was like, and I mean, just young and stupid. I was like, cool, here's my gun. I'm going to go walk in here. You know, it's like, you just, yeah. you just take off and walk or whatever. And like my, my fail safe was, was like, I just tried to always hunt near like a, uh, a stream or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that way it's like, I could, if I could find the stream, I could figure, you know, find my way back. Um, you know, had a, had a dicey moment where I got a little too close to a mama bear with cubs. It got a little weird. And, uh, yeah, that was close to the end of the trip, which was probably a good thing. Cause after that, it was, uh, I was a little bit more nervous walking into the woods after that, but, uh, yeah, every stick that breaks you, you know, snapping your neck, looking back, what was that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing. I mean, the thing was too, man, it's like that place specifically, um, on Prince of Wales, it's, if I'm not mistaken, it, I think it's considered technically a rainforest because it gets, I think nearly an inch of rain a day like on average. Jeez. So yeah. it's, so the, the timber is like walking through a jungle. Like it'll take you hours to walk like a quarter of a mile. It's like, just because it's so thick, like you have to like almost like pull stuff out of your way to walk through. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so it's so easy like to walk just like 20 yards off of a road and there were no paved roads there. You walk 20 yards off the road where you park like your vehicle or whatever. And you walk into hunt you walk in 20 yards, you turn around like to look at something and you have lost where you've come in at because everything looks exactly the same. Yeah. You you know what I mean? So it was just like, it was just very unnerving being in there and not being able to see very far in front of you either. Like you don't have a lot of perception, you know, around, you don't have a lot of context to what's going on around you. You can see, you know, the 10 feet in front of you and that's about it, you know, but but on to uh, more more about your trip, man. I want to hear a little bit more about yours. So the idea – so for me, when I left, it was, you know, I had, a, I had a distinct feeling about what I had just experienced, right? And so I'm curious if, with you, was there any one thing that – or any one feeling or any one thing that you experienced or just an overall feeling that you're leaving with that kind of has, has been sticking with you? And I'll tell you what mine was. As far as like one specific experience that I had that's sticking with me, well, either or either, like just either, like an overall feeling after the trip, yeah, either either one, you know, what I mean, it's like either the impact that it had on you as a whole, or like a specific moment that you had an experience that was super impactful, just going to kind of stick with you, like your overall feeling about Alaska from this trip. 
So there's kind of two ways I guess I could look at this. The one the one would be is I was kind of put into uh, a scenario that I I'm not used to being in, and that was being around quite a few non hunters mm. on the trip. And this doesn't exactly answer your question, but I was around a lot of non hunters on the camping part of the trip, whether it was the investors that are in Heather's Choice, the employees, and then also some of the other ambassadors that are from dog sled racing from you know hikers to backcountry skiers i mean all these different avenues and being able to talk to them from that you know perspective of you know educating them on hunting and and the question that you know that even myself i have trouble coming up with words to describe you know why you hunt and everything along those lines and talking with them about that and listening to their views and everything was really eye-opening to me and realizing that I need to make sure with everything that I do that that I'm putting hunting in a positive light. Mm-hmm. So that was from a from a trip and a culture perspective, that was one thing that that I noticed and took away from that trip. But from an experience standpoint, it was it was just it once you got up there and realized that even though it seems so daunting to to be there and to travel there and the, all the flights and everything else that anything is possible. You can get to anywhere in the world if you want to do it. And it just makes me long for more, you know, different adventures like that, whether that's through hunting or whether that's through just, just traveling like that. It was that the remoteness of Alaska and being back in there just kind of really brought me back to kind of your true self and, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, it's really tough to put into words for me, but it was it was something when I came back, I felt rejuvenated and just, you know, just wanting to have more and more experiences like that and just live my life through through a series of those experiences. I think you hit on it right there, man, when you said it's I have a hard time putting it into words because that's exactly kind of the impact that place has. Right. It's just like, it's just never ending like beauty and the best. It's like all the best parts of like what the, the U S has to offer (laughs) in terms of like land and majestic landscape and wildlife and, and all that stuff. It's like, it's all there. You know what I mean? And like the thing that I walked away with, and I have two kind of, I have a follow up question I want to ask you, but like the thing that I walked away with was, some of the places where I was walking, right, you just kind of wondered, like, am I the first person to ever walk here? You know what I mean? And that's like a that's like a super profound kind of like moment when you recognize it. I might be the first human to actually touch this part of the soil. You yeah. know, you know what I mean? Um, because you don't get that anywhere else. Really, I mean, you can go to Montana and, and Colorado, and you can get into some some remote places, and and there's you know, the the idea that that, you know, could happen as well, you know, but there, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, there's, there's just not really any people and there's just like so much land, you know what I mean? And it's just, you know, and it's still just to your point, what you were saying earlier, man, it's just extremely wild. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's just nothing that compares to it, but I want to ask you, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I I was just going to add to that. And like, and for me, like I, I touched on real quickly earlier was, you know, hearing those stories from my, you know, my grandfather that's 
82 years old now listening to him talk about so passionately about Alaska and how wild it was when he was fighting fires up there and, and doing everything like it just almost I don't know it was just like a sur- surreal feeling when you're just you know immersed in it and we're just you know I was standing there at two in the morning it was still daylight just looking out at this glacier lake you know in the with no one else around and it was just like you said I, again I'm having trouble putting it into words but anyone that gets a chance to experience that and I guess when you say get a chance I mean you kind of got to make you know make the opportunities yeah yeah but um yeah anyways yeah that's that's my thought on that nice so I'm curious man the conversation you had with some of the Heather's Choice ambassadors and you know the folks that you were on on the trip with and stuff like that you were mentioning that they're you know non-hunters and and so forth I'm just curious you know, how was, how was the conversation or how are you kind of received in, in your discussions? I mean, do you guys have discussions particular, particularly about hunting and, you know, how, how did they kind of receive your message, so to speak? Yeah. So one person is, uh, specifically Kayleen, who is the, the marketing director for Heather's Choice and she lives out of Colorado actually, but prior to Heather's Choice, she had zero, um, exposure to hunters really. Um, I think she's from Indiana regularly and then moved out to Colorado and just was into hiking and all that other stuff, but never was, she just pictured, you know, the Elmer Fudd type, you know, hunter that, and that was what she thought hunting was. And, you know, people just shooting deer out of windows and everything else and never really got that perspective. So, and she's very educated and was asking a lot of questions and through working with her in the last year or so, um, the she she said her eyes have been open to like you, you know hunting, and she's like I'm not necessarily sure that I want to hunt myself, but I understand it. Right. And like the, the the questions you know asking around just you know we want you know whether that's there's always the meat argument you know about you know right. having clean organic meat and that's great, but the whole adventure aspect behind it too is. You know, I mean, for people to say that it's 100% about meat, I think you'd kind of lie to yourself. Right. Um, by saying that, I mean, obviously, love meat. It's a very important part of it. But that whole, when you immerse yourself in that environment, I just really tried to explain to them what it's like, you know, if you go hiking and everything like that, it's awesome. You get to experience nature. But with hunting, you're trying to figure out these animals every move. Mm-hmm. And when you put yourself, whether it's in the backcountry, it's a tree stand. I mean, you're really just paying attention to little things. You, the the stuff, that your job that's stressing you out isn't bothering you right now. You're focused on on hunting. You're focused on trying to outsmart an animal that spends our whole lives trying to survive. Yeah. And just really kind of got into that aspect with them and got a lot of positive feedback from those people. And and actually afterwards. There was a couple of posts on social media from them thanking us for, you know, discussing that with them. And it wasn't just me. There was myself and then two other hunters that were from Alaska that were also very good with um, explaining that type of stuff and why they do it right. and how they do it. And I think that, you know, whether those people ever hunt or if they don't, they uh, I, I hope that they were left with a positive, you know, outlook on it and and look, you know, outlook of hunters as a whole. 
Right. Well, I think, you know, it's the way I always kind of explain it is, you know, and, and you, you did a great job kind of like expressing it, man. It's like, you're, you're right. It's not just about the, the protein. I mean, it's a huge component of it, you know, because I like that, mm-hmm. like that aspect of it. But for me, you know, when you talk about like as a non-consumptive, you know, outdoors person, you know, hiker, camper, you know, uh, skier, whatever it is, um, you know, you are observing nature. And what I like to say is as a hunter, you're, you move from observer to participant to where I'm now taking an active role and I've left my kind of human life behind to a degree and have inserted myself into this other world that exists kind of sans human, so to, so to speak. And the analogy I kind of use for people when I explain it is like everyone for the most part, most people I'll say, not everyone, but you know, majority of people have gone to a, a concert, a rock concert, country concert, whatever, of their favorite band, artist, whatever. And there's, there has to be a moment when you're watching this, especially if it's like your favorite band, where it's like you're envisioning yourself as that person playing on stage. Like you're envisioning like, the, like wouldn't it be so cool if I was the guitar player in this band or the drummer in this band? That is you trying to make the, the transition from observer to participant. You know what I mean? And that same, like, how cool that feeling would be to be able to do that is the same thing that you have, like, as a hunter when you move from that observer to the participation role. You know, it's like you got into the band. Like, you're in Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's I'm like, with the band. Yeah, totally <laughs> with the band. You got the T-shirt and everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's kind of like the way I always kind of explain it. It's like, because I know, like, all my favorite bands growing up as a kid, man, it's like I would go watch them and I'm just sitting there going, man, I only wish I could be that guitar player right now. You know yeah, I mean? because like you just want that full, full immersion and the full experience. You know what I mean? Um, and that to me is kind of like what hunting is like with in taking in the outdoors. I I'm happy to go for a hike and observe it, but man, it's a lot cooler when I get to participate. You know? You know, you know what? I'm gonna have to steal that from you. Any next time that I get into a conversation like that, I'm gonna use that analogy. That was good. Do it, man. <laughs> just it's it's just be, become the Led Zeppelin. Become Jimmy yeah. Page, become Robert Plant, just not John Bonham because you'll wake up in a bathtub choking and vomit. <laughs> you know, it's not, not a good look for anybody. So cool, man. Well, hey, let's uh let's do a uh, I'm gonna do a hard transition here with zero segue because I okay. wanna get to talking to some some elk hunting, man. You know, so so I want well first let me let me ask you here. Are you are you going out west this year? Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure you are. Before we continue our conversation, let's talk about Wicked Tree Gear Saws. Hardcore deer hunters need tools that can keep up. We don't baby our gear, taking on whatever Mother Nature dishes out. Check out Wicked Tree Gear hand saws and pull saws at wickedtreegear.com. Use the promo code TRUTH to save yourself 20% on your next purchase with free ground shipping. And get a saw that's tough enough to work as hard as you hunt. Yeah, yeah, I'm going I'm going out west uh, here in less than a month now, heading out chasing elk in Colorado. Nice. So how's uh how are your preparations coming? Good, good. I'm uh I'm feeling really confident going into this year. Um I'm a little behind on the the gear perspective of getting my I'd I'd like to have my bag kind of packed by now, at least to know what I still need and some differences. Luckily, this is my third year in a row going out there, so I kind of have a better grasp than I did in the past. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been doing a lot of traveling for work, so I'm a little behind on that aspect, but I, I feel pretty comfortable, um, a lot more confident in the past with my shooting and um, and also physical fitness as well as just elk hunting knowledge. Um, I've been really just studying up on that. 
uh, quite a bit to try to try to prepare for it. So I, I cannot wait to go back out this year. Nice. So when you go, is this like, is this a, of course it's over the counter, it's you know public land. Are you, is this like a backcountry style hunt where you're kind of packing everything in and kind of, you know, wandering, you know, in, in, in the mountains and setting up a base camp, you know, or are you, or do you have a specific place that you're staying? Like how, how are you kind of facilitating the hunt? Wandering is a very good way of putting how I elk hunt. <laughs> Man, I think anyone who says that they do anything other than other than that are just lying. It's no, like, they, they're 100% lying. Even the best ones will tell you that. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure even <laughs> but, Corey, uh, Corey Jacobson, I'm sure, wanders sometimes. Yeah, you, you have to. But I get distracted too easily with, with that. But uh, right. anyways, yeah, so it is a, a backcountry-style hunt. So the last couple of years, I just put everything on my back and backpacked into a wilderness area for seven days. Just everything that, that I needed for those seven days was on my back. And I usually, I think it was about around four miles in is where we'd set up base camp and would hunt out of there. And, you know, if we, you know, if we hunted the areas in that general area, usually hike between like 10 and 12 miles a day. Mm-hmm. And if we weren't getting into any elk, then we pick up base camp and kind of move it. So it was, um, so still kind of mobile with that, um, with a backcountry style hunt. But this year, uh, I, this is very recent and, and I hadn't even talked to you outside about this Clint, but I'm going with uh, a group of guys this year that, um, that are bringing horses out oh, from Pennsylvania. Awesome. So we're not, riding the horses, but they are going to help us pack in our gear and we're going to pack in. I think they said somewhere eight or nine miles. We're going back in. This is even a new area for me. I was was planning on going back to my same spot and this opportunity kind of came up and just, again, as we were talking about before, something different, seeing a different area, different style just had me, you know, kind of hooked on it. So we're going back in and we're going to set up a base camp there and um and then hunt out of that with uh, i'll still carry a you know a lightweight tent with me in case i you know get into elk ways from the tent i can kind of bivy out for the night meaning just you know setting up the tent and sleeping wherever i end up when it gets dark and uh but yeah that's that's going to be the the case this year so man that is going to be awesome with horses man that's uh that's going to be killer dude i mean that just gives you that much more opportunity. Did you hear that? My dog thinks it's going to be awesome too. He's totally crashed out right now on, on the floor right <laughs> next to me. He has like, he gets a little weird and a little freaky. So he's got these puppy calm pills that we give him, which are like, I don't know, they're like hemp seed oil or something like that. I call them, I call it doggy weed. <laughs> and, Some and CBD oil. Yeah. Bro. It basically lets him like relax. So he's not all like high strung and like want to freak out, you know, cause <laughs> he's a little high strung anyway. <laughs> taking the taking the Colorado maybe is what made me think of it. You know the hippies. I got a hippie dog right now. So yeah. um, the uh, taking the horse is going to be awesome, man. Like just I can't imagine like how much that's going to kind of open up like the opportunities with being able to pack that much further in. You know and take the requisite gear needed to to do that. Um, yeah. You know and then also man that the pack out. You know what I mean like it, hopefully you guys kill you know kill a couple elk. It'd be nice yeah. to have the uh, have the horses to help pack that stuff out for sure. 
This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that just that just opens it up. Like, so instead of me, and I've been criticized for my pack weight before, but it was like 72 pounds, including my boat, which was including my bow and water, food, everything last year. Right. Just pretty heavy, to you know, to pack back in and to be able to distribute that weight with the horses and so i think we'll have like two horses for four guys and so we'll still have something on our back but not nearly as much and then like you said not if but when we come out heavy i'm being extremely confident in this year right <laughs> so like we said the the power of the rut stash but yeah gonna go in come out heavy and uh the horses will help you, know, you even carrying our camp gear and everything else so that's that's really cool i've just I've never, uh, I haven't experienced this type of hunt yet, and I'm really looking forward to it. Nice. What a, I mean, as far as, I mean, I know when we, when we've talked in the past, we both like to work out, we both like to stay in shape. And, um, you know, from, I think for both of us, it's, it's more of a lifestyle type of thing that we both want to stay in, in good shape. It also helps us in, in difficult hunts. You know, it makes everything a little easier if you're, you know, if you have good cardio and, and, and your strength is up to par and, and stuff like that. So I'm just curious, what all what all are you kind of doing specifically to kind of get ready for your for, for a Western hunt? Yeah, so I kind of I, I used to be a guy that went to the gym a lot and was really into that. Just liked working out again, like like you and I talked before with just the overall healthy lifestyle. But I kind of switched that those gears a little bit after going out west the first year. I realized that. So I was okay with cardio. I wasn't terrible with it. Could still use some improvement. Um, my strength was was decent. I was doing a lot of lifting and things along those lines. But like my quick burst, my if I needed like a high amount of energy in a short amount of time, which would happen if say you an elk bugled and you had to run over, you had to move on position, and you're in that thin air, that's tough. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of changed my whole workout plan around being mobile. So mm-hmm. as well as I, I'd, I'd mentioned a little bit earlier, I travel a lot. So I do, I have nothing but kettlebells, um, some sandbags that I've made out of play sand that I picked up at uh, home Depot and put them in some dry bags. So I have like 50 pound, 30 pound sandbags, some kettlebells, and I built a, a step up box. So basically a box that's, uh, I think it's 18 inches off the ground that uh that i can use to practice stepping up on 
you know, mimicking being in the mountains because not all the time do I have access or the time to go drive somewhere and then hike. Right. So I'll, I'll take the sandbag, put it in my backpack and do a bunch of step ups on there, which helps build up those the hip flexors, yeah. your, all your muscles in your legs, your lower back, your core. And whether even though it's really boring to just step up on a box over and over again, it is extremely effective, in my opinion. And then and then and I, and I kind of started doing everything in a circuit motion. So my workouts are short. I, I get up at 4.30 in the morning to do these workouts before work. And usually they're only anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes and just do a lot of high rep, high intensity stuff in a short amount of time. So a lot of things that are using full body movements, like kettlebell swings, mm-hmm. um, squats, you know, there's air squats, uh, lunges, jumping lunges, jumping squats, the step ups. And then a lot of times in between my sets, I'll just do a sprint and come back. And that sprinting is what's really helped me with that. When you need to go right now, you need to, you know, like you said, that bugle, he's right there and the wind's about to switch. You need to get up around him, whatever it may be that, you know, that fast twitch type muscle movement has really helped me out a lot. But if, if, if I could give like a recommendation of one thing to do, um, it's definitely have that pack on and, and, and go for a hike, yeah. you know, with, with weight in it to kind of, to mimic that. But I like to do an overall body workout. I do some trail running, um, as well, but just overall, um, body movements, focusing on my legs, core and back mostly, but for the overall body. Yeah. We, we have a similar kind of workout regimen because I do similar, similar exercises. It's more, it's more, I guess what I would call, um, you know, functional, functional strength. You know, I don't list, I don't lift a, a ton of heavy weight, you know, I'll wear a weighted vest when I work out and stuff like that. Um, but it's a lot of like fight training type of stuff. So everything I'm doing, I'm doing with like a dumbbell in hand and, you know, odd body positions. So you're kind of, you know, balanced and strong whenever you're in your least, I mean, when you're in maybe your most vulnerable kind of body positions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, last year, the thing that helped me the most, man, in all honesty, was I started doing um, marathon sprint training where I was doing like interval sprints. So I would run like, you know, whatever it was, I would sprint, you know, 800 meters and then I'd walk 800 meters and sprint 800 meters and walk and then sprint 800 meters and walk and sprint 800 meters and walk it. And then I would sprint 400 meters, walk 400, sprint 400. I would do a set of those, like four of them. And then after that, I would basically do uh, 200 meter sprints um, for, I think it was like 15 minutes straight, you know, like a 200 meter sprint, 10 second rest, 200 meter sprint, 10 second rest. And I would do that. And it, the whole workout would take me like maybe 25 minutes, 25, 30 yeah. minutes, you know what I mean? But you were just torched afterwards. Um, and that, that was like a game changer for me, man. Cause when I started doing that, it's like my cardio went through the roof. And when I hit Montana last year, it was like the first day I could tell a difference in the air. But after that, it was like, I was, I was good to go, you know, yeah. I mean? like no, no problems whatsoever. Like it didn't really bother me. And that was, that'd be my one recommendation to anybody that's, you know, going out West is like, and this is the thing, man, it's like, you don't have to be in great shape. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to make, I don't want anyone out there listening to think that like, you got to be some world beater, <laughs> you know what I mean? Triathlete to go hunt elk. Cause that's not the case. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it just, it all depends on what type of experience you want and, um, what type of hunt you're going to do. Oh yeah. You know I, mean? I mean, you can, 
you can gear that to however you'd like and your hunting style. Um, for, for me, it's just like, I, I like, okay. So the, I sit so long in the deer stand that when I hunt elk, I want to move. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving, I'm bugling, I'm moving, I'm bugling. And that's what I'm doing. I'm really you know, running the ridges that way. So I, I like to, to be in shape with it. Do you need to be in the best shape? Like you said, absolutely not. But I can promise you that no matter what, you're not going to wish that you weren't in as good a shape as you were. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, you, you are going to hit points where you're like, man, I I shouldn't have slept in that day. and should have got up and did that one extra, you know, whatever. But the the sprints, like you're saying, that's, that's, that's so helpful to, to be able to do. And, and my, my thought on the fitness side of it and whether it's, you know, and all be all with elk hunting or not, you know, that's debatable, but it does, you know, bring that overall healthy lifestyle yeah. that, uh, really helps out. So, yeah, for sure. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit here about, cause this seems like a perfect time to talk a little bit about East meets West, your, your podcast and your platform. Cause a lot of it, if I'm not mistaken, you know, well, I'll just ask, I'll ask you, I'll ask it this way. You know, where did this idea come from and where was the the podcast and East, Meet, East Meets West kind of born from? Yeah, so um, I, I first went out West in 2016 and just kind of went out on a whim, planned this uh, adventure with my brother and my cousin and just dove in headfirst with it. And when I started doing the researching for it and trying to look into how to make this hunt possible, I realized that it was it was tough when you had no context on or concept of, of Western hunting and the terminology used and all these different things. So anyways, I, you know, somewhat figured it out, I guess enough to be able to go, went out and hunted and I documented the whole thing. Well, one by video, that was kind of a, a half-ass video, but, um, my, my brother edited it pretty good for, for my video quality, but (laughs) anyways, uh, and then I, I wrote it all down. So I, I was never, I, uh, I kind of liked to, you know, write and everything in in high school and college, but I never did anything like that ever after that. Well, so I wrote a story kind of a day by day thing of my elk hunt and like the feelings that that I had throughout the hunt and, and how, you know, there were certain days where I was just like, I wanted to quit and I wanted to go home. I was like, this sucks. You know, this is, I'm beat down. I can't find the elk now. What's going on? Why am I here? I'm taking vacation. I should be at the beach or doing something <laughs> like, like normal people do. Right. But, uh, but anyways, I wrote this story and I submitted it to uh, a publication online called the journal mountain hunting. And they ended up uh, running it in their subscriber story section. And I titled it East meets West. And I got a lot of feedback from it, from people, you know, throughout the East being like, Hey, you know, I'd love to do that. But, but you know, they use, but, but this or, but that, or, you know, all these excuses. And I'm thinking, you know, they weren't valid excuses. I mean, I understand where they're coming from with it, but there's, you know, an answer to any one of those excuses. So anyways, this, so the idea was kind of in my head, you know, the East meets West. I just thought that sounded cool. And I started doing some more writing on that that whole aspect and and ended up uh, becoming a field editor for the journal Mountain Hunting, as well as writing for other publications on planning Western hunts and and doing things. And just as a 
you know, a side note here, I, I do not want to sound like I am an elk hunting expert because I am absolutely not and have not killed an elk. So I can right. help plan on right. and, uh, as far as the, the killing part. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, comment on that. Right. But, uh, but just the, the whole idea of it, you know, adventure style hunting, whether that's, you know, going out to Colorado or if that's going to Ohio or uh, the big woods of Pennsylvania or wherever that is, you know, you kind of can define your own adventure with that. So came up and I started listening to podcasts and everything else um, about leaving before I went out west. But I always liked that idea. It was like, man, I, I wish I could come up with a, you know, a way of reaching people and talking about uh, this, you know, adventure adventure style hunting from the east and for, for one so i can learn more about it from talking to these guests but might as well throw a microphone on and help other people out with it so after this this last uh season here in 2017 i was like i, I need to to kind of go forward with this this podcast and make it a resource for the guys in the eastern u.s to plan and realize that it's possible to go on these adventure style hunts and that can be scaled however you want you know that can be a, a sheep hunt in canada that can be a diy elk hunt in colorado or that can be a whitetail hunt in pennsylvania uh-huh. you know it's, it's just and my slogan is how do you define adventure and that's kind of what i'm you know i'm getting at it's just you determine what you want in your experience and don't let anything get in your way of doing that so i want to be that resource to be able to help people plan those type of type of hunts and uh so i started the, the podcast an online journal as well as uh, an apparel company that's all surrounded um by that by that concept nice man that's awesome dude and, it, and it's super cool man like it's like i'd mentioned at the top you know the way you and i met online and stuff like that and we've had a ton of conversations about you know different different things and you know in the outdoor world you know hunting sometimes podcasting and you know it's uh and you're right, man. It, it's it's a it's a cool thing that you can help people, you know, kind of be able to realize the the, the opportunities that they have. I'll say this, man. You know, I hunted most most of my life growing up, you know, or since I was a kid. And it wasn't until I started, you know, finally, I guess, let me say it this way, got the stones to just say, you know what, screw it, I'm going to start traveling to different places and hunt because I just want to see different stuff, you know. Like, yeah, my satisfaction for hunting, and I and I love it regardless, but just going somewhere new and hunting, even if I come home empty handed and I eat, eat a tag, it's so worth it. So worth it. You know, it's like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it. Like you have this sense of achievement, you know what I mean? Because it's not easy. It's, I mean, I won't say that it's not, not easy to do, but it takes some planning. It takes a little forethought. It takes a little, you know, a little bit, I'm going to go do this type of thing. Um, and so when you do it, you kind of have this like sense of like, yeah, I just did something. I did something that a lot of other people probably won't do. As you, as you mentioned, they'll make excuses for why they can't, you know, and you know, and you know what, Clint, and that's, that's another thing that I, I didn't touch on there with the business, but it's been a huge part of it. And the reasoning for it was when I did this type of hunt. And like you said, it's, once you look back at it, it's not as hard to plan something like that and do it as it is. It's more of a, you know, committing to it and, mm-hmm. and blocking out the time to do it. But in that process, there's a lot of really hard things. And as I say a lot with elk hunting, it's type two fun. Yeah, it's yeah. fun to talk about it afterwards, but during the time, a lot of it's, you know, it can be miserable. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
you're wore out, you're, you know, you're beat down. The weather's, you know, just can be, can be nasty. And what that did though, for me was it helped me in all aspects of my life. Things that I thought were big deals when I'd come back, you know, I wasn't complaining about, you know, this or that or the weather or something at work, you know, things that like that I used to, you know, complain about with the, you know, the first world problems that we have. Um, it just made it, it made me look at things differently. When you're worried about when you're in the back country and your whole day is surrounded by supplying your body with food, mm-hmm. figuring out how you're going to do that, how you're going to find water to drink, how you're going to hydrate yourself, how you're looking for the elk and you're doing that and you simplify things that much, all the little problems in your life aren't that big of a deal. And when you plan these different type of hunts like that, it helps you in all aspects of your life. And I wholeheartedly believe in that. And that's why I keep putting myself outside of my comfort zone. And that's what I think, you know, with growing and, and how I would, you know, define adventure on that side of things would be getting out of your comfort zone, trying different things. And it's just led me down so many different paths in the last, you know, two and a half, three years that, that I can't even, you know, begin to, to get in, get into it completely. It's just, it just helps you out in every aspect of your life. And I, I know you and I have talked about that, but it's something that I'd urge anyone that they get a chance and, and again, make that chance, uh, to happen, to, to go on a different style of hunt, go get outside your comfort zone, wherever that may be. Yeah, no, hundred percent agree, man. Like it's, it's funny you mentioned the, the comforts of home and, um, you know, when you're in that kind of mode of just one foot in front of the other and what do I need to do to get through today type of approach, um, how much it kind of changes and level sets your mind. You know, what I had told someone whenever I came back from last year's hunt, you know, they asked, you know, basically they asked what it was like. And I said, you know, there is not much that's more humbling than shitting in the woods like an animal for two weeks straight. You know, I was like, cause I, yeah. I was like for two weeks, I was like, I didn't have a bathroom I didn't it have, sucks. you know what I mean? I was like, you know, I was, it was just, it was what it was. And then, you know, I went to Ohio with my buddy, Chad, and we slept in the back of a pool behind cargo trailer. You know what I mean? That was our, our, our sleeping quarters for that, you know, eight, nine day hunt we did in, in Southern Ohio. And again, I went to the bathroom every day in the woods for like nine days. You know what I mean? I was like. When that is like, cause that's kind of like a, you know, it's like one of those creature comforts that you have when that's kind of taken away. And it's like, at that point, there's not much separating you from the animal. You know no. what I mean? Like it's everything now has become equal. We use the same restroom. We are using the same lands. We are finding the same water sources, like all the same, all, we're using all the same stuff. Besides you look a little more awkward doing it than they, they do. They totally you know? look more, they do it, they, they do it like it's nothing. They do it and keep walking. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. You got to hang off a tree backwards, upside down, and everything else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I want to I ask you this question, man, because, you know, this is something that I've kind of, I know for me, it's, it's been extremely helpful and, and useful um, to me. And I've learned, I've learned a ton, you know, just in, in running a podcast. Um, not just from hunting, but just like all kinds of stuff from people and met super cool people and stuff like that. So I'm just curious, you know, the amount of time you've been podcasting and, and, and doing this type of stuff, you know, what are, you know, what are some things that you know now that you wouldn't otherwise know if you didn't have the the opportunities that you've had in, in the outdoor, you know, what I'll call the outdoor industry? 
or what are some things that you wouldn't have done or known if it weren't for the podcast? Well, with the podcast is, you know, relatively new. It's, I've only had it out for a couple months, but in that amount of time, it seemed, it feels like it's been a year, but the, the biggest thing that I realized was that there are so many more people that are like-minded than I could have ever imagined from anywhere from Virginia to Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio, West Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina. I mean, the whole way up and down the East Coast, there's a lot of people like us that that love that adventure style of hunting. And I've had some great conversations with these people that I would have never have had the opportunity to talk to without the the platform of the podcast. So that's been kind of the biggest thing for me to to you know really talk about. And then if you go into like specific details with you know so I, I got to talk to Corey Jacobson, the ten times world elk calling champion on my podcast about, you know, calling elk in certain scenarios. You know, I get to ask him questions about certain setups I had and what I was doing. Why did that not work? And why did the elk blow out when right. I was trying to shoot him and everything else? And just being able to to have that voice and and do that has been so eye opening for me. And um yeah, that's that's been the the biggest thing. And I just hope to continue with it to be able to get to meet more people, you know, and, you know, hopefully hunt with a lot of these, you know, people like yourself and and others that I've talked to that are, you know, have similar mindsets to me and and just, you know, help each other out in any way possible. Yeah, that's the one thing I think you have to nail on the head, man. It's like this is a very um, helpful community. You know, it's uh, the the hunting community in general, and then I think you know, and then when you get into like the the adventure style, it's like it's it's um you know the adventure. The, I feel like the the folks who are you know it, those who seek adventure just in general are less interested or less focused on the on the prize at the end, and more about the process and the experience. So there's really no winning or losing, so to speak, right? Because Sometimes, you know, hunting, you know, whitetails and, in, in, you know, in your hometown or whatever, it's like folks, you know, and look, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. You like start to think certain, certain deer are yours because you saw them here on this camera or whatever, you know what I mean? So you know, oh, yeah. a, a buddy shoots a deer, <laughs> you know, yeah, a buddy shoots a deer and you want to be happy for him and you are, but there's always still that little party that's kind of like, damn, man, I saw that, had that deer on camera for three years. You know what I mean? Like I wish I, you know what I mean? There's yeah. that like little bit of it. Like there's a little bit of that. There's, there's a win at the end, you know, and, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure why necessarily. And I'm not saying everybody's that way. And I'm not even saying that it's wrong. You know, we're human. You have these, you have these feelings and these ideas, but it feels like the, like the adventure hunt thing. It's like, it's, it's so much about the experience and the process that you're, you're almost hopeful that someone will ask for your help. Because you just want to share that experience, you just want to share some stuff where hopefully someone can take it and go have have the same type of cool experience that you had. You know what I mean? Because that's really the win at the end of it. Like it's not the animal per se; it's 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 winning like the, you know, winning at the type two fun, like you said. You know what I mean? It's, it's making cool stories. Yeah, and and like in hearing from people that you know give me feedback, shooting me messages saying like, oh, you know, I was listening to it, and I'll, I'm going to drive from Maine out nice. to Colorado. I'm like, for Maine, that's, that's double, you know I mean? That's even crazier right. to, to go hunt Colorado for the first time or hunt Montana or wherever that may be. Like you said, when you hear that, I'm like, 
if they have a positive experience out of that, and I had even just 1% of, you know, reasoning by them doing it, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and uh, hearing that I just was never, I guess going into it, I just didn't expect that to, that to happen and happen so quickly from that, find that those kind of people that were so into it. And, and I guess, do you feel the same way with that? Yeah, I mean, it's always podcasting. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, it's a uh, it's always extremely humbling when you get a message saying, you know, there was one guy in particular I remember last year shot me a message saying he he had started listening to the show and you know was picking some stuff up from probably you know the guests more so than me <laughs> or you know from me or John it was more so the guests <laughs> I'm not sure, um, you know, but yeah. they they shot their first buck with a bow or something like that last year. And I got a message from them and they said that they had heard stuff on the podcast that they used. And, and it was, they said it was part in part because of what they had learned listening to the podcast. And I was like, dude, that is awesome. But that was all you, you know what I mean? Like you had to do the work, you had to, you know, put all the puzzle pieces Mm -hmm. together and stuff like that. It's like, I'm glad you were able to listen to some, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever, you know, mumbo jumbo, we were spewing at whatever time, you know, and, and I'm glad that it, I'm glad that it helped, but in no way kind of take credit, you know, for that. And one guy was like, I'm seeing more deer now than I've used to see, you know, in the past or whatever. And it's just like stories like that. You're like, man, you know, if I helped at all, then awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um, oh, definitely. But more than anything, I think we probably just gave you an outlet for some place to, to like have some time to think about it. Like, cause that's what I've found. Like, you know, if you just have time to like think about something, like something specific that you're trying to solve, like you'll, you'll come up with a solution. It might not work the first time, but you'll refine it and you'll continue to refine it and you'll continue to refine it. You know, I feel like podcasts to a degree, because I listen to a lot of entrepreneurial podcasts too, like business podcasts and stuff. And a lot of times it's like, I'll be listening to those shows and I'm not even like listening to the words that they're saying, but like, it's got my mind in a way of thinking that I start like taking business things that I'm thinking about. And I start kind of building them or tearing them apart, deconstructing them and reshaping them in my mind as I'm listening to the show. So I kind of feel the same way about like, you know, the truth from the stand podcast where it's like, we have guests on that are extremely knowledgeable and they have great information, you know, like, you know, just a bunch of folks who've been, you know, kind enough to come on and, and, and talk to us, you know, but more than anything, it's like, I really feel like I'm just giving you that hour to sit and think about deer hunting, you know what I mean? Or Western hunting or taking it, taking a trip to Alaska or whatever it is. Like the time that you don't get to spend doing that cause you're working or you're watching the kids or you're doing whatever. It's like, this is like your hour to, to sit and think about the stuff you want to think about. And then your mind kind of takes over and start solving those problems that you, that you have or start scenario planning to create a better hunt. And so that's kind of how I think about it. So I'm like, I don't take any credit for it. I just, I gave you an hour window to think about something you really like and you'll figure it out. You know, that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. I've, I've never thought of it that way, but you know, even as you're saying that to me, I'm thinking on the drive down here to Virginia at a five hour drive and I'm listening to podcasts and, and, um, 
actually only actually only one of them out of the five hours was anything to do with hunting. Mm-hmm. And I listened to a lot of entrepreneurial uh, podcasts as well as just different business ones. And I'm just sitting there. My my head just turned spinning. Like you said, it puts you in that mindset. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I need that to kind of give me that reset button, especially when, as you and I were talking before this, you know, there's not enough hours in the day. Yeah. And sometimes you just get overwhelmed with things and just to get you back on that kind of, you know, that track again and get you that, that, uh, you know, motivation you may need or wh- whatever it is yeah. to, to get you thinking in that positive mindset to, to keep going with it. But yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I, I mean, I used to not think of it that way. I was always like, you know, let's give people information. Um, but then like I started having my own experience where I was like, I'm not even using stuff that I'm hearing on some of these podcasts. It's more like I'm just thinking through and it's giving me the opportunity to think through it, um, you know, which is it, which is important because people just don't have enough time to sit and kind of think about the things that they that they enjoy. So if we can give them a little a little slice of that, then, you know, then we're happy to do it. But uh I want to do one more hard, awkward, not planned, very poorly transitioned transition. All right. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Into uh, I want to talk a little bit about mountain bucks now, man. Like we've kind of covered the Alaska stuff. We, we've talked about elk hunting. And I want to talk about the, uh, the OG, you know, the, the, the original gangster, you know, for, from, your, from your youth of kind of how you grew up and and talk about some of those experiences, if if you would be so kind as to uh, to indulge me. So first, well, I want to get a sense. Like I know you kind of said at the upfront, Allegheny Forest. That's kind of the area you grew up in. So, is most of the places that you're hunting, that you're deer hunting here in the east, are those public land places for the most part? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Um, a lot, and there's also a lot of lands that I hunt that are privately owned, public access logging. You know, logging companies may own it, forester companies. Uh, gas companies there's a bunch of different ways especially in pennsylvania and even in ohio that are owned by different companies Mm -hmm. that are private lands but public access so a mix of a mix of those yeah and so is it predominantly like big woods would you say yeah yeah actually uh there's not any areas that i'm hunting right now that have an ag field within miles so nice yeah so it's it's primarily uh big timber okay so i want to start with learning a new piece of ground, right? Cause I think sometimes, you know, um, so I think I saw a stat from QDMA that said like 80% of maybe it was 75, it was 75 or 80% of deer hunters, right? Hunt private land, you know, and, and implying that it's like family owned or that they own it themselves or, or, or what, or what have you. So I think sometimes when, you know, and a lot of that, as you can imagine, is probably agricultural land or at least nearby agricultural land when you get into rural PA for the most part, you know? Um, and so I want to get a sense. I think some folks, when they step outside of that kind of back 40 style hunting, you know, and this could be an adventure too, you know, you're stepping outside your back 40 and you're now going to go to like to a big wood setting somewhere and you're going to hunt. I think one place where that can be a little intimidating is that when you're hunting farm country, you can get a sense as to like, especially early season and late season, you can kind of get a sense as to what patterns, what, you know, how, what, how deer are going to move on a property, right? You'll kind of understand where the ag is. They're at some point going to feed there, especially if it's a destination food source. You try to figure out what their bedding is, their route to and from, and, and, and you should see, you should see deer, you know what I mean? And then if you go to late season, they should be back on that bed to food pattern. You know, if you go during, during the rut, there's a couple of different type of rut funnels you'll want to focus on, whether it's, 
you know, whether you're trying to focus on, you know, does coming back from food to bed or, you know, if you're hunting scrape lines and, um, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Right. So there's a couple of different ways, but by and large, you're going to, you're going to focus on like bed, you know, and you're going to focus on food to a degree, right? Cause there's plenty of it. Whenever they make the transition to start hunt, hunting big woods, it's not as spelled out and as cut and dry as that, right? So you kind of have to do a little bit more dissecting and you're, you know, and I'm just, I, I won't answer, I guess, my own question. I'll ask you, what, <laughs> what are you kind of looking for, you know, when you're approaching a new piece of land, public land, big woods type of setting? Like, how do you first start to dissect a piece of, a piece of ground? Okay, so like if I'm taking a look at a map, I'll look at an aerial map first and foremost. And I like to like say, for example, if you're using Onyx maps, I'll use the the one where it has the the topographic overlay on mm. top of the aerial view and kind of get an idea how the terrain runs. And by looking at terrain, it's definitely in, in you know, hill or mountainous type terrain, you can kind of see how the deer are gonna use the land. And by so once I kind of look at that and kind of get in a feel for how the property flows together, then I'm looking for changes in that terrain. Okay, looks so you can kind of tell. All right, that looks like it's a an area of hemlock or pine trees that has a hard edge mm-hmm. against what may look like that was a logging clear cut. Mm-hmm. If you're on uh, federally owned land. Onyx will show you actually if it was logged and when it was logged. So that really helps from a, right. um, a, a standpoint of knowing how old it is and how the deer will use it. But anyways, um, so I'm looking at like the differences in train. I'm kind of marking different things. I love hard edges. Right. Deer like or you know, a creature of, of walking on edges. So I'm looking for, you know, old clear cuts that may be really thick. I'm looking for new clear cuts that may be um, you know, good food for them, um, on the new browse that's coming up and, and then also really looking at the way the streams flow throughout the property. So, uh, you know, it's not really popular for people to say that they're going to hunt creek bottoms because of the wind, mm-hmm. um, with it being inconsistent, but, uh, you give me a good creek bottom in, in, you know, Northern Pennsylvania in the rut and that's where I'm going to sit every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love it. I love, um, creek bottoms for travel corridors during the rut in the big woods. So I always pay attention to them. And as I'm looking at these, you know, these creek bottoms, I'm looking for disruptions in it. Beaver ponds mm-hmm. are my absolute favorite thing to look for. So, and again, I'm just giving you a high level overview right now. These are things I'm marking, you know, right, I'm just putting right. drop, dropping pins kind of, you know, looking at things so that when I put boots on the ground, I can have a better idea for it. So if you're able to put boots on the ground, which if it's within, you know, five hour drive, I would definitely try to figure that out. Um, at least in the spring or after the season ends. So you get a little bit better of a, um, you know, a view or outlook on it and be able to see some of the last year's sign go through check and go to those areas because otherwise if you look at a a map of the big woods it's overwhelming and mm-hmm. you'll never be able to cover all the land that's there um so just finding these little features so i'm looking for like, again new clear cuts um and the reason why I, and again i'm kind of being a little bit biased to a lot of the areas i hunt have no oak trees 
or anything. So there's not any acorns. Um, if I'm hunting somewhere where that's at, I'm looking for that big timber that may potentially be points that have oaks. And I'm going to go check that out. If, uh, so then, then, you know, it's boots on the ground type scenario after that. So I have the, the food, you know, marked what could be potential food, which as Clint is, I'm sure you figured out by hunting the big woods and anybody else that has, they can, they'll feed everywhere. Yeah. I mean, anything's open game for them to eat. So there's no, you know, corn field, there's no bean field, but they, I mean, they do have primary areas that they like to feed, you know, if possible. So I'm looking at that. I'm looking at water sources and travel corridors, which can be creek bottoms. Um, one thing I didn't cover was like saddles on ridges. If something's a really steep terrain, um, I always look at saddles as well as the the points of hills when they go out, like overlooking the valley. If you usually go right over the edge of that point, and like uh, like a, if you like look at like a scent cone that's going out, mm-hmm. so anywhere from left to right on that point. Usually you'll find a buck bed out on that corn point, uh-huh. but um, that's you know only in pretty steep country. If it's not not all big woods is really steep, so that's right. that's uh, hard to tell. But anyways, I look for those type of things, mark them down, head out, boots on the ground, scout, and I usually couple it with you know shed hunting as as you and I talked earlier. But I'm like you, and I'm <laughs> a, I'm a act you know I'm an a deer hunter before I'm a shed hunter. So when I'm, yeah. when I'm out looking, I'm looking for how I'm going to hunt the next year. And I'm checking all of these areas out for sign and, you know, trying to figure out, okay, does this bed look like it's something that's, you know, used just right now in the summertime, or is this something that's being used in the fall? What would be the reason and try to put together, um, all these, these things that you had done from the scouting online before you walk into the woods. Yeah. So it's, it's not a cut and dry plan. I mean, I, I can't say that I have, you know, five things that I go in and do every single time. It's absolutely not the case. It's kind of, you've got to come up with a plan, mark those areas, go in. And when you get boots on the ground, you will figure out, you know, if your assumptions are right. And if they're not, then you need to adapt to it and, and move with it. And, really understand how they're using the lay of the land in in those scenarios. So like you had touched on a little bit earlier, deer and animals in this, you know, this forest and terrain act as natural as it gets. Yep. You know, it's, they're not manipulated by anything. And, and again, there's, there's nothing. And in my opinion, I, there's nothing wrong with any, any different type of whitetail hunting in every, you know, different habitat, it's just different and it's just as natural as it gets from a movement standpoint. So, yeah, what, no, I was going to say a hundred percent agree with you, man. It's like when you get into those bigger wood settings, you know, they're, they're seeing less people cause it's, it's harder to find them. You know what I mean? You're usually dealing with probably, you know, lower deer density cause you're not in an agricultural area and there's not, you know, you know, food out the wazoo for them to, for them to, to, to eat. And they're also, you know, you know, in my opinion, traveling on a lot longer travel lines as well, where it's like, they're not going to make their normal route, you know, like they would at a farm, like every two days, you'll see them pass through this funnel or every three days or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that distance is likely going to be a little longer because they are a little bit more nomadic, 
you know what I mean? Because they can feed everywhere and they can bed nearly anywhere, you know, to a degree. Um, the one thing I definitely dig on that you, that you'd mentioned are, are saddles. You know, I definitely look for those. Um, I love me a good saddle. The other thing that this year, it's funny that you mentioned, cause I've never found a beaver pond before and I'm hunting near some water possibly this year, found a good spot when I went out to, when I went out to scout in Ohio this past spring and saw some, some really hammer sign, um, you know, we'll go back and, um, see what shakes. We actually hung a camera near there. So we'll see if there's anything decent coming through there, but all the sign was kind of saying it looked good. It was in between two sets of doe bedding and, um, looked to be pretty, you know, pretty promising, but there sure enough was a, was a beaver dam right there on that body of water as it kind of butts up to this small little stream that kind of runs into the, this kind of like swamp area. Yeah. Um, and I just like, I saw that and all the, all the, the beaver chews that were there and stuff like that on the trees. I was just like, man, I was like, this place just looks like just gnarly. You know what I mean? I was like, this feels like a place, like a big old buck would want to, would want to hang out in. Um, there's really only kind of one access is going to be the main thing on this because it's really only one way in and one way out to a degree. So access, and it's going to be tough. But one of the first things I do though, just for folks out there listening that maybe haven't done the big woods thing or, you know, getting off the back 40 a little bit is, you know, there's still possibility of pressure in places, any place that's close to a road or a parking lot or whatever. So it's like a lot of times I'll just kind of go through and mark off anything that I don't want to hunt. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, this is going to be easy to access. This is going to be easy to access. And this is going to be easy to access. And now all of a sudden I've cut this huge chunk down to four, maybe spots, three or four, you know, areas that are places I would be interested to hunt. And then I look at all the terrain features you were kind of talking about and saying, okay, for the stuff that I like, does that exist in these four places? And then maybe it only exists in two. And I'm like, okay, so now it's really, I'm talking about these two spots. Yeah. You you know what, Clint, you added a a great point that I completely, you know, glossed over there was first and foremost, definitely that will, will really narrow down your area is, you know, looking at where the possible access points are and marking that off. So that was a, a, a great addition there. And I, I just wanted to give you a quick, um, you know, kind of, uh, um, I guess, I guess, a a warning with, with, uh, hunting some of the creek bottoms and just mm-hmm. cause I, I know of the idea of the area you're hunting in Ohio right. is when you're getting in some of that super steep train with narrow bottoms, mm-hmm. be care- be careful with it. I haven't had as much luck hunting those type of areas um, in the creek bottoms as I have in Pennsylvania that may mm. like roll a little bit into the, the bottoms more mm. than, you know, straight solid walls. Um, I don't know what it is if it's from, and I'll explain here a little bit how I use the thermals to my advantage, but it's, it seems like, I mean, you'll find the best sign in the creek bottoms in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And again, this is from my, my opinion and my experience only, but I've only got nighttime activity like on cameras there and sitting there. I wouldn't even see a deer a lot of times. So, mm. but you found a beaver pond and I'm going to tell you right now, you'll, you kill a deer 98% of the time. <laughs> there's, there's nothing else. The reason this is why I say about beaver ponds, if you can set up as close as you can to them, one, they create a funnel. So it's, you know, it spreads out the, the actual stream or creek that runs through the property and it'll funnel the deer around each side because obviously it's a body of water, which makes it, you know, kind of deep and tough for them to cross. Also, when you're hunting over them, 
especially during the rut. And that's what I focus a lot when I'm talking about big woods hunting is the rut. Mm-hmm. So the, the, in the morning, the thermals, if it's cold enough are automatically going to be going up, you know, heat rises as, as it's very cold. So your, your body heat and everything is going straight up. So creek bottoms are great right then, not bothering you. Heat, your thermals are going up in the morning. As everything starts to warm up, the hillsides that have the sun on them first, the air is going to go up on those. So it's, it's going to run up. And the ones that are maybe more shadowed, the, the wind is going to start coming down into the valleys. But if you're over top of a beaver pond, that water is always warmer than the air at that point. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting there and whatever the – dominant wind is in your face is blowing your scent in that beaver pond it's just going to catch and draft up hmm. so it's going to pull it's going to pull your scent up and so even if something's walking downwind to you on the other side of that beaver pond whether that's only 70 yards away for the most part and again i'm, I'm saying this you know with a grain of salt they're not gonna not gonna catch your wind right i um the, the buck i killed this past year in pennsylvania was just set up sitting over a beaver pond, probably 20 yards away, wind blowing down into the beaver pond. And that buck came straight downwind to me on the other side of the beaver pond, never smelled me, rubbed a tree in front of me, and then ended up coming out into the opening at 37 yards where I shot him at. But hmm. Nice. So. Yeah. That's the one thing I've been kind of thinking about is how the, how the, the wind and thermals are going to, are going to play there. And you're, you almost described it to a T like, it is pretty sheer, like on the opposite side of the, the water. So it's it's basically like a it's a it's a pond. I would call it like it's not a lake, but it's it's way bigger than like a than like a farm pond. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It's 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 a pretty decent sized body of water, and the beaver pond is at the one end of it where it has this little like it's not even a creek necessarily. It's just like a runoff, like a little stream. You know, like a ditch almost. Like the water's running through, and that's where they've kind of they've kind of dammed it up, but you're right. It is sheer, right? It's not this rolling, like it basically drops down into this, this body of water. And then when you go around the one side of it, it kind of flattens out and then it starts to roll. And the only only thing I'm hoping my saving grace is, is that there's, there's a bunch of dough bedding on that backside where it flattens out a little bit and there's dough bedding, you know, on the opposite side of me. So if I'm sitting and looking at the body, body of water, we'll just call that, you know, in front of me is North, Basically, to so the east and west of me is doe bedding. Okay, and gotcha. Once you get past that doe bedding, there's like a drainage runoff, you know, or like it's either a drainage. It, well, it does look like it has drainage runoff, but I believe it was just over time it's turned into that. I believe it's a saddle between these two kind of ridges that are real close together. And that kind of runs up into this cornfield that's like a couple hundred yards away or whatever. So I'm hoping that it will be a killer rut funnel is what I'm hoping because I had the same kind of – same kind of thought where I was like, man, this feels like this could be like a really, like you could get hammer pictures and they would be at night. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I had, I had that thought. And then I was like, man, for rut though, I was like, I feel like this would still be a good rut spot though, because it's, you're, you're smack dab in between two, two sets of dough bedding. And the easiest path to get there is to run that bottom of that ridge next to the water. And I mean, there's like, there's a, a, a goat path just pounded in there. You know what I mean? 
Well, um, no, that that sounds actually uh, that sounds like a pretty legit spot. I mean, if you want someone just to test it out for you, um, <laughs> let me know. I'll, I'll come. I'll come. You know, test out the wind for you, so you don't blow anything out. Right. So it's funny because like we. <laughs> Chad and I scouted that out and, and, and my buddy Tate was, was with us and I kind of have my spot that I killed my deer one spot that I, you know, I killed my deer, you know, is one of the spots that I'll definitely be, be hunting. Um, and, uh, it's like a coin toss. Who's going to hunt this one. Cause it's, cause it seems like it's really good. And we all found it kind of together. Like we all kind of looked at the map and all at the same time, we're like, Oh, just go over here and look at this. We got over there and looked and we were all like, man, this is really pretty nice. And, <laughs> None of us wanted to say, I'm going to hunt here. You know, no one wanted to be, no one wanted to be a jerk. You know what I mean? So yeah, we'll see who wins the, uh, the coin toss to hunt that, hunt that spot. I really feel it's one of those places during the rut. If someone put their time in the stand and, and hunted that area, you know, two or three times, like I feel like they would kill a, kill a nice deer out of there. I just, for whatever reason, it's just one of those places that sets up where you're just like, man, that's a killing stand. There's, there's yeah. a, a, a location for a stand. that's just like completely bulletproof. Um, especially with you talking about the thermals and stuff. It's like, I, I, it doesn't matter what the deer does. They're going to get shot before they ever knew you were there. You know what I yeah. mean? It's one of those types of, uh, types is, there of a, is there a hemlock or a pine tree anywhere near there? Pines. Yep. That's nice. the, yep. That was exactly, there's a, uh, I forget what kind of tree it was. There's a tree that's not a, not a pine that is right in front of a very large pine. And then a very, yeah. and then a very small one kind of right in front of that tree that you could that would be you wouldn't have to cut much to get really good shooting lanes through it so like you're yeah. all you're all covered up like nothing unless something happens and you get winded like you're not they're not going to know that you're there um, yeah you knew what i was getting at with that i man i love i love getting in pine trees or anything like that because you can you can be covered up pretty good and from a motion standpoint and a visual standpoint i i feel like just so comfortable from uh not being seen in, in oh. those scenarios yeah, a hundred percent. Like I just hung a hung a set this weekend and trimmed up a tree to. I can either hunt out of out of a saddle in it, or I can hunt out of my stand in it. And it has it's a it's an elm tree, and uh, there's a saddle that kind of runs on my dad's property. I've never hunted this property; It'd be the first year, and it runs kind of like this little stream that kind of runs into these two water holes that are on the property, and then put a food plot in this past weekend and then it kind of runs up if you kind of perpendicular to the little stream it runs up into the food plot um and so i found this elm that was kind of situated behind this this pine tree and i was like man i can cut a shooting lane to this side of the pine and then right out in front of me i've got some cover too and there's like this huge oak tree it's just like all weird and crooked and nasty that's kind of out in front of me too big to put like a stand or anything in but it gives you a great cover and i was sitting in the tree stand with my saw was waiting to, to trim and I'm like, man, where should I trim these lanes out at? Then all of a sudden, like clockwork, I looked on my left and here comes two deer and they just walked the, they literally walked the saddle for me to show me where they're going to, where they walk. So, <laughs> so I got a dry run of like where they're going to go and filmed it. Of course, I just grabbed my phone real quick and, and filmed them, but they gave me like the perfect like visual of like, Oh, that's where they're going to, that's what they're going to do. And so yeah. I, just, I cut my shooting lanes and dude, they had no clue that I was there bulletproof. And I was, it was middle of summer stinking cause I've been sweating all day and they had no clue that I was there. It's perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. And no, and that's a, that's another thing you were talking about saddles. So in that steep country, that's where I focus on is saddles a lot. And so in Southern Ohio, the same, you know, the, the scenario that I had, I'll talk through the, the buck that I had shot. Um, 
in again in the rut i was just from spring scouting i noticed that there was a buck bed kind of out on this point um on the one side so the saddle was in between the two points and on the one point there was a buck bed and a nice rub um out there and the saddle that went in between them with like a almost like an old coal mine uh pond on the one side and the other side was a steep cliff so it was a perfect funnel and from my experience the the bigger bucks that don't always run like the top of the saddle they'll run like just over the edge so they're not you know skylighted mm-hmm. and so i set up down over that edge and it, i was it was just it was big oak trees where i was at in, in this spot in ohio and i just put my climber up climbed up the tree sat there all day had some had a couple little bucks run right on the top of the ridge there was like a little almost like a grassy road that ran across the top of the ridge about 20 yards from my stand set up. And they, uh, they were walking that and, and because how steep it is, they were eye level with me cause I was down over the hill a little bit. And then, uh, the, the buck ended up shooting kind of came on that lower edge and came up and before, before he was even, I'd, I'd say probably 20 yards over from the top of the hill, maybe maybe 10 yards over from the top of the hill is where I ended up shooting them. And it seems like those deer use the, the at least some of the bigger deer usually use the, those side trails, mm. not the, the main ones that the does and the younger bucks seem to seem to walk. But yeah, that's sure. just, but saddles, I love hunting them. They're just, like you said, they're a natural terrain feature. And when you get some super steep terrain, or anything like a lot of the big woods have throughout Appalachia. I mean, yeah. it's it's a bulletproof setup. If you yeah. sit there for enough days, you're good. And you made a good comment earlier with low deer density. And most of the areas that I hunt, and this goes for Pennsylvania and Ohio, are relatively low deer density. Mm-hmm. So you, so I, I pay attention to access a lot, mm-hmm. but you do not mess up an area as often as you will in some areas that have a lot of deer numbers so i feel a little more comfortable hunting a stand more than once if i'm not you know because you're not you for the most part you're not blowing anything out unless uh well if you if you do you know that's a different scenario but for the most part i'm not seeing enough deer blow any out right. <laughs> and, uh, that's i guess that's what i'm getting at right so you can uh, you can be pretty adaptive with that, and and you spend enough time in the stand in one of those corridors during the rut, you can do very well. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. It's saddles are one of those things though too, where it's like, man, I run into if you're gonna find if you're gonna find people in like big woods or like big public land chunks or whatever, a lot of times it'll be if it's relatively close. Again, we'll you know give that caveat because a lot of folks aren't going to walk far from where they park, but a saddle that's close to like access and people will be in it. Cause it's one of those terrain features that's really easily identifiable for, uh, for people, you know what I mean? On a map, they can understand what a saddle is. It's really, really easy. Um, you know, the one thing I would like to look for too, is that like first hard kind of terrain break that first hard, like terrain line that you'll look at on, you know, on, on your topo maps. That's another place where I'll kind of like to just kind of move along, along that terrain line and just, just kind of scout along it to see what's there. Because as you were mentioning before, it's like, you know, a lot of times, you know, the, the bigger bucks aren't going to want to run the top of a ridge or whatever, just from being skylit. 
A lot of times it'll work down the side of the ridge just a little bit. And a lot of times it's, it's around that, that first like steep terrain break, you know what I mean? Where that like, or the, what you maybe you'd call one third down or three quarters of the way up, however you want to frame it. Right. Um, yeah. it's right before you get to the top. It's like a lot of times I want to run that. And if you run that elevation along a ridge more times than not, like you end up running into some, some, some buck sign, you know what I mean? And that's oh, a lot yeah. of times where they'll like to, where they'll like to run. So that's another thing that I'll, you know, try to kind of look for that. There, that right there is kind of like the Dan Enfalt special. You know, I know he talks a lot about, you know, one third down on the leeward side of a ridge is, you know, is a, is a great spot to be. Um, you know, so I try to follow some of his, uh, some of his teachings to a degree, but man, we've been chatting, dude, you and I can go for forever, man. When we get on the phone, we could talk for, for days, just about anything. We've been talking for like almost an hour and 45 minutes. So I want to be sensitive <laughs> to, to your time. And, uh, I know you're, you're out of town and, uh, have, have work tomorrow and stuff like that. So before I let you go though, I'm going to ask for you to do me one thing. And that is give me a hunting story, something that's memorable to you. And uh, give me every detail where you were hunting, who you were hunting with, and uh, get me from the truck till you get back to the tailgate. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go back to a relatively recent hunting story from uh, November 8th, 2017, to be exact. I was going to say, it's very I, specific. I'll get, <laughs> I'll get down to time on this one. I, it's fresh in my mind. But I was... Um, I'd been hunting at that point. I think it was eight or nine days straight, all day sits in the stand besides Sundays, because in Pennsylvania, we can't hunt Sundays yet. But uh, anyways, it was one of those, you know, I was getting kind of a little bit frustrated, kind of in my head wondering, you know, am I doing something right? What am am I doing something wrong? What what am I doing? You know, kind of overthinking things. So I'm driving into this stand you know, it's pitch black out and it's just one of them mornings that feels good. It's frosty. Um, you know, the road's glistening and I almost hit a very big eight point that was standing on the middle of the road, just looking dumb at me. I'm like, all right, something's something good's about to happen. So I, I go down into my stand. I put my bibs and my jacket on at the base of the tree, climb up into my hang on stand Sit down on the seat, realize I forgot my seat pad because I pull my seat pads out so I don't get, you know, soaking wet for any of the stands that I act that I leave up. And so I'm sitting on this, you know, cold metal stand <laughs> and realize that my you know, that I was using Sika's fanatic bibs and they have the Berber fleece on the outside. Uh they froze to the stand. So a little four point came in and I was like trying to kind of just pretend that, you know, it was a, a bigger deer or something I was, you know, legal to shoot and just, you know, seeing how I would react if they were going to do that and make sure that he wouldn't see me, went to stand up and I couldn't get off the seat. Like I was literally froze <laughs> to the seat. And I was like, wow, well, this is, uh, you know, this isn't good. So anyways, that was right after first light. Anyways, got my pants away, broke from the seat. So I stood up the rest of the day and uh, nothing. I mean, it was nothing going on all morning. Perfect morning you could ever imagine. And during the rut, November 8th, everything should be going on. And I said, all right, at noon, I'm going to get down and check this camera that's on the crick crossing right in front of my stand. And I kept looking at it. I'm like, should I get down? You know, I, I've had the situation before. I've been halfway down the ladder and, you know, a deer comes in. But I was just getting ready to pack up my stuff. 
And I said, I'm gonna do one last, you know, grunting uh, bleat sequence. So I do a lot of blind calling. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm in like thicker terrain in Pennsylvania, I'm in the big hardwoods of Ohio, I still do it, but I'm a little more careful with it because they can see further. But anyways, I, I hit the, I just used a little bleak can twice and then just kind of acting like chasing coming through and gave it a minute. And all of a sudden I see footprints underneath the pine trees. So since I have a little crick that runs next to me, hearing them coming in just isn't going to happen because it's loud. And I see foot, I see uh, little hoofs underneath there, well, big hoofs. And uh, <laughs> I see, I see a tree just being, you know, just raked up and down, up and down. And I then at this point I shifted my body a little bit. And I could see through the gap in the pine trees and I saw tines and I was like, all right. And I could see his neck, big, big <laughs> neck. I was like, this is a big deer. So I grabbed my bow and just waited for him to quit putting on a show. And he came in with his the hair on his neck standing up, you know, just nice. looking for a fight, you know, posturing up. And he went across the edge of this like uh, switchgrass opening where it hit, um, where it hits a little bit of different terrain on the side of the hill. And I'd ranged that spot earlier to the edge was 39 yards and he was a couple yards in front of it. So I drew back my bow before he hit that opening and, you know, kind of just settled that pin there quarter and away at 37 yards and, and, and shot the, that deer. And, and I ended up hearing him crash and it was just like, you know, one moment, one second can change everything. And that just made my season, you know, it was like, after a, a long, you know, time of hunting during the rut there and, you know, cause the rut is the time we all look forward to, but it can be, it can be either hot or it can be slow. Yeah. And I, uh, made it happen there luckily and got down to it. And that was, got down to the buck and just the biggest body deer I'd, I'd ever killed in, in Pennsylvania. I was just admiring over that nice, you know, Pennsylvania eight point rack and, and was debating on actually quartering them up like I would do out west and packing the deer out because I was kind of in a pretty nasty spot. But uh, I really wanted to show everyone the body of it <laughs> back at <laughs> camp. So I was like, I'll just drag this out. I didn't have any cell service, but I was uh, in the tree stand. I could get out a text here and there, and I was able to get one out. My dad had just left for Ohio to hunt and because uh, he'd killed a deer a few days before that. And my uncle got back to me. He's like, you need any help? And it's like, no, I got this. And I was like, I just wanted to do it kind of all myself from the beginning to end. And I shot him right at noon, like I said. So, you know, by one o'clock I had him gutted and, and uh, started to drag him out and I had to drag him through a, a logging cut that they just did and still left all the tops down. Oh, man. No, thank you. It took me all the way till dark to get that deer out by myself. And I was... Literally, I, I laid there and just thought, like, this is it. Uh, I don't know if I can go any further, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I was, uh, anyways, I, I dragged him the rest of the way out and couldn't get him in the bed of my truck <laughs> at all. I couldn't, I couldn't put the deer up myself whatsoever. So I found a bank, backed the truck up to it, was able to drag him in there. And the deer, the body was so long on it that. I have a you know five and a half foot bed in my Chevy and his he was kind of bent up in there. I mean he's a big deer and I was just so freaking pumped at that point. I got in the truck, 
covered in blood, covered in everything you can imagine, just stunk <laughs> and couldn't be happier to, to drive back to camp, hang him up on the hoist and, uh, you know, skin him out at that point. So that was, that was a long story, but that was my, uh, that was my hunt and the, the one that come came to mind, you know, right away. Nice, man. That's a killer story. It's, it's, that was a nice buck too, man, that you, uh, like the, uh, last year's deer and that and the drag too kind of makes it all the story kind of all come full circle there's something about dragging your own deer out though you know what i mean like i'm yeah. kind of the same way it's like if i can if i can manage it it's like i kind of just want to do it myself um mm-hmm. and I tell you what there's no better feeling than when you'd make that long drag and it's a hard one and you and you hop in the truck and you're done it's just like you're exhausted and you feel awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean but hey, man! Before I let you get going, dude, why don't you uh, let us know where people can find out more about you and more about uh, East Meets West? Yeah, so you can uh, you can find me on Instagram. My personal page is at Bomartonic. That's just B E A U dot Martonic M A R T O N I K. And also, you can find me at at East Meets West Hunt on Instagram, as well as East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. And then the website is www.eastmeetswesthunt.com. And the podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, really you know, anywhere podcasts are found. And just search East Meets West Hunt. Look for the logo there. Check it out and let me know uh, what you think about it. So I, you know, I, I appreciate you uh, having me on here, Clint. Yeah, man. You bet, dude. It's like I'm. Dude, you're a, you're a fellow Pennsylvania boy, and uh, I always like talking to you. I always like spending time with you. Just that one of these days, we got to hunt together. That's the we got to put that in the books and make that happen. Heck yeah, we do. I'm, I would I would definitely be uh, excited to do that. That'd be a good time, man. And let's just let's just plan it and make it happen. So uh, thanks. Yeah, for you said don't wait, hold on. Yeah, we can't you can't just leave it up to opportunity. You got to make it happen, right? That's right. Commit and do it. That's so we got to. We'll, <laughs> we'll have to have a call. We'll we'll, uh, we'll make a plan for a hunt, and we will just commit, and we will make we will make that happen. Sound like sound, sound good? Sounds good, my man. Awesome. So, thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate your time, Bo Martonic. Everybody, thanks. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Bo for joining. Be sure to check him out at East Meets West hunt.com and follow east meets west hunt on facebook and instagram i'll place all the links in the blog post show notes as well so you can easily find out what's going on with Bo. we'd of course like to thank all of you for listening and if you haven't done so yet please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating we'd be super appreciative if you would do that and while you're there go ahead and subscribe for the podcast so we make sure to deliver each and every episode right to your mobile device And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. I ain't welcome anymore. Long time coming if it's all. So special, no one to call a phone. Damaged heads, broken letters. Nationalize yourself in numbers, but I gotta get away from
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.